Are you waiting for everything to be perfect before you decide to enjoy life? Stop waiting. Start living. Welcome to Life in 22 Minutes with Scott and Becky McIntosh, where you will hear inspiring stories from imperfect people living life with courage, humor, and a whole lot of love, despite challenging circumstances to bring hope to your heart and a smile to your face in only 22 minutes. Now, let's welcome the host of the show, Scott and Becky McIntosh. Welcome to Life in 22 Minutes. We are so excited to share with you our special guest today. And I know we say that every week, but today really is such a special, special guest. And we say that every week, too. (laughs) We're excited to dive in. We know so many fabulous people. We're just so honored that Gaina Lynn Condi would work us in her busy, busy schedule. She is a popular motivational speaker. She's known for inspiring others with her unique honesty, authenticity, and spirit. She is dedicated to her family, faith, and inspiring others. Gaina Lynn loves teaching others with speaking and writing. She is healed from a major chronic illness and is the mother of two miracle children. She writes a column for the Daily Herald called Everyday Faith. Her books have reached readers all over the world. Her first book, I Can Do Hard Things with God, was a bestseller, inspiring readers all over the world to do their own hard things with God. She loves growing older, and after 26 years of marriage, Gaynell Lynn aims to keep learning and loving. So with all that, welcome. Thanks for having me. It feels You've been so good married be your entire life? <laughs> I know, I was thinking that. Thank Thank you for saying that. Thank you. Welcome. Thanks for having me. It's good to be with two such inspiring, great people. So It's our honor. Thank you. Thank you. So let's start with your childhood. Okay. That's a a hornet's nest right there. (laughs) So um, my parents had myself and then my sister and then they divorced. And I, I like to tell LDS communities will understand this. My parents were divorced before Marie Osmond got a divorce. And that means mm-hmm. no one had really divorced parents. So mm-hmm. I went to primary on Thursdays back yeah. in the day, right? Yeah. And people didn't know why my dad didn't live with us. And unfortunately, within a lot of religious communities, divorce is much more common. And and that kind of set our family on a trajectory where there were some challenges with some mental health issues. And I definitely started to believe at a very young age that I was in charge of taking care of my entire family. And I mistakenly felt like if I was perfect... And if I made all the right choices and and made sure that I worked really hard, then there wouldn't be any pain. And that proved later on to be really not a great path for me to decide at the age of seven. I remember specifically thinking, okay, I could break some patterns in our family. And if I would just figure it all out, then there would not be the heartache. My mom remarried and uh, married a wonderful man and and they had a baby that died when I was 10 and she was almost Mm -hmm. two and she was pretty close to perfect. I always say Bonnie came into our family so that we could have an understanding of what perfection looked like and it raised the bar in our family Mm -hmm. that as much dysfunction as we were all living with, there was this ideal kind of little human being that we had for a time. My dad remarried and he had a whole family and my mom and stepfather had more children, three more, and beautifully modeled what divorce could look like. Mm-hmm. They have stayed friends, really dear friends, and they will always say that. 
that they're each other's brother and sister, even though the marriage did not work well. My father's single. My mother is still with my stepfather and they take care of my dad and make sure he's checked on and my dad's protective of my mom. And so I think that that's worth saying that you can do divorce in a way that doesn't shame your children. Right. And then I grew up as the oldest. And so I kind of felt like I was the mom of everybody in my family. Not right. Responsible. Yeah. Did, did everybody else feel like you were yes, the they mother? Will, they will still tell you that, that I like, if everyone would just do it my way, it would work out. I, I went to college first. I got married first. I had a baby first. It took a while to have my baby. My baby's now 20, but it took seven years to have him. And I was told with chronic illness, I had lupus and a heart condition that we should never have children. So I have two. It took Mm -hmm. seven years to have my son and and another six to have my daughter. And they love each other and they're they're the greatest in my life, gifts in my life. Um, I've watched as I've grown and then my siblings have grown and had their own families that we are all kind of trying to figure out this thing called family, right? Right. And I haven't met one family that has it perfectly figured out. And then most of your listeners that are familiar with me will know this part of my life. And that is three and a half years ago, my 40 year old sister. So Mm -hmm. my parents had two children, the original group. Mm -hmm. Um, She took her life and committed suicide. We found her in my parents' home in California. And they were actually here in Utah with me at the time. They found her on my mom's birthday and my brother Mm -hmm. found her. Um, In that moment, I share often that my world kind of changed. The grief of suicide is unlike other grief in that with cancer, car accidents, heart attacks, the people left behind don't go into kind of some crazy thinking of their own. There is grief with all loss, but suicide can make you kind of do a what if. And because I had kind of put myself in this position of being her savior and her support and her biggest fan, there were lots of times she would dip into what I call the pit. Mm -hmm. And then I, including with good therapists and a great bishop that adored her, would help her out of that. So the last five years of her life were Mm -hmm. probably her best. Wow. And around... And how many years apart were you? So she was a year and a half younger. A year and a half Mm -hmm. younger. So very close. Yes. And that's been under four years now. So I am still learning to to work through some of that. But it really did set a tone for a lot of the speaking and writing I do. I don't just talk about suicide. But if I speak... I don't care if it's a banking association that calls me and wants me to speak on, I don't know, motivation or goal setting. We'll still talk about suicide because the Mm -hmm. rates are climbing across the board in every demographic. So that's kind of brings us up to we're kind of half empty nesters and, and I love speaking and writing and I love that it, it allows me to meet some amazing people. But what I've learned in the last few years of doing this is everyone's got a story or something that they're struggling with a hard thing. Right. Which led to your first book. Yes. Which ironically, I had written it, submitted it, it had been rejected twice. And I started to question, was I hearing the right prompting to do it in the first place? And I submitted it to Covenant in the fall. In March, Meg took her life. Wow. Six weeks later, Covenant said, we want to publish this. And at that point, I rewrote what was originally in the book to include her story. I share that too, because a lot of times, especially entrepreneurs or um, influencers in general, feel these longings in their heart to do missions and 
and messaging out in the world. And then when it starts to feel like it's not working out, they think, mm-hmm. wait, was I hearing the right thing? Like, is God really calling me to do this? Cause nothing's coming together. Right? right. In my situation, I was hearing the right message, but literally for me in faith, I would go to God and say, you asked me to write this book and it's being rejected and it's being rejected. <laughs> he kept saying to me in my heart, yes, you're keep heading in that direction. He couldn't say to me, Meg hasn't killed herself yet. Mm-hmm. And literally mm-hmm. that story yeah. is not the, there's, 17 other amazing true stories, but that first story has really opened the door across religious backgrounds, agnostics, atheists, buy Mm -hmm. these Mormon book stories Mm -hmm. because suicide has this kind of bonding thing that once you've experienced it, it changes you. And I've heard from readers all over that have lost people to suicide they loved 20 years before, and they're still trying to process it. So that I share that because I think that changed my understanding of kind of how God uses us and talks to us and, and that sometimes we're getting messages and we don't understand why things aren't working out, but it was a timing thing. And what would I have done if God had said to me, you know what, you are going to publish this book, but not yet because there's a story that hasn't happened. And this is the story he couldn't, you know, sometimes we go to God in prayer and we were like, God, if you would just tell me all the details, (laughs) then I'll have more faith, you know? So... So yeah. we just need to put a patience poster a on patience the wall. Post. Yeah, just a big old thing that every day we look at and say, okay. And yeah. understand oh. that our promptings are pieces of the light, but sometimes right. we want to connect them like puzzle pieces. And they're, you know, we got an edge piece over here and a center piece over here, and they're both going to be included eventually, right? right? But right now, they're not really connected. Right. right. Well, I love the fact that her life is still validated and is still um, progressing in the way it helps others through you. Thank you. By sharing that, to, to share such a, a, I don't know, an impactful moment. That's something that's very difficult to talk about. Something that so many don't want to talk about. For sure. And you're willing to go out there and share and say, you know what, if this can help you, I'm willing to put myself in a tough spot. And, and right before we went on the air, I shared with you just this morning in a few hours, I've been contacted about three suicides. And there is a shame association with suicide that needs to be addressed mm-hmm. because we we need to start talking about it because it's life and death stuff. And I like to say when I'm out and speaking that either someone is struggling with with these feelings, they are supporting someone that is struggling with these feelings, or they've already lost someone to suicide. That pretty much covers everybody on the planet. Right. And yet we aren't really talking about it. I remember um, when Robin Williams took his life. Yeah. In that moment, that was the day we placed her headstone, which is ironic. But in that moment, for a few moments, I thought the whole world in this moment right now today understands exactly what our family feels all the time. Because there was this feeling of like, what? (laughs) And even though my sister had struggled with mental illness and depression, I had, like I said, the last five years of her life had been really moving forward and she had gone back to college and she lived Mm -hmm. on her own and she was serving in the church and she had a temple recommend and she was doing Mm -hmm. all these things. But I know that for our family, there was the what if for her bishop, for her therapist, for Mm -hmm. all the people that loved her, they had watched her fight through and stay. And so I would share with you what she always wants me to share. And this is what I will Mm -hmm. say. She always wants me to share stay. So Mm -hmm. I say, stay in your body. Because I know for her, that's what she wants people to know. And that she knew the minute she had made that decision. I always say suicide is one decision. It's not 
every decision someone makes. But it's one of those decisions that then takes away the option to make other choices. So, and I often hear these like misconceptions. It doesn't matter what religion, what culture, there's strong feelings about what does suicide mean in an eternal perspective and what, what shame does it bring? And people, you can read obituaries almost every day where you can tell that that's probably what the death was from. And, and people and don't, don't want to say it. Mm-hmm. And I always, if I get a call right when someone's planning a funeral, I say, don't avoid the elephant in the room because it's a matter of life and death. It's a message yeah. for everyone, for everybody else, for everyone else. Yeah. And there's not shame in it. And I would say too, when I talk to people that have tried and then survived, which is another whole group of people, right. I tell them they're the strongest, right? Mm-hmm. Because they've already fought through something and they're yeah. learning things. So for your listeners that deal with depression or anxiety, They're learning things that we need them to stay to teach us. So it's a fight for them every day to just get out of bed. It's a fight for them to go to work. It's a fight for them to feel comfortable just doing maybe normal things like getting to the grocery store, right? We need to say to those people that are struggling, stay, stay in your body, and then understand that you're building muscles emotionally, spiritually, and mentally that we need to learn from. So those are some of the gifts that I've Received wow. from a really horrific loss, and and that loss it gets me thinking that I've been taught my whole life, and a lot of us get taught this or get believing this, that you don't ever mess with the procreative powers as far as pre- creating or taking away life. Those yeah. are God's, yes, and, and we don't mess with those. And so, if you commit murder, that's an unpardonable sin type thing. And if you, even if you commit suicide and take your own life, that that's a sin that's just it's irreversible. I can't help but believe that a savior, somebody who we know is Jesus Christ, our judge, is that harsh. Um, oh, I don't get emotional on this, do I? <laughs> this is our podcast. We're happy people. But I just, I just think that um, that he understands, and he understands where they're at when they went through such a hard time. That we don't, we don't. I'm sure glad we're not the ones who are calling out the judgment. Well, and let me say this: the million dollar question is why. I get asked all the time, "Why mm-hmm. did she?" Right? Mm-hmm. I can give you a list of: there was mental illness, there was a learning disability, she was sexually abused by a babysitter, there was some trauma. But there's a lot of people on the planet that have experienced those traumas too. Mm-hmm. I would also tell you this: people often say suicide is selfish. Right. It's the exact opposite, because for a person that takes their life, they are to the place where they have literally void of hope and they believe that somehow they're doing everyone Mm -hmm. a favor, Mm -hmm. that they've become a burden. And if you love someone that deals with mental illness and has for an extended period of time, like my sister, she got tired. Right. That was 40 years of fighting. Mm -hmm. That wasn't a girl that hadn't tried a lot of tools, right? I also hear from people that lose teenagers 12, 13-year-old kids, right, that are taking their life. And that's a different perspective, right? That's that's sometimes the teenage perspective where the frontal cortex Mm -hmm. isn't fully developed and they're pretty sure this is how life will always feel. Mm -hmm. But for my sister, 40 years, she had 40 years of fighting. And so I love what you just said, Scott, that the Savior understands the tiredness. The Savior understands the trauma. The Savior understands, and I believe, um, and through some really sacred experiences, know that um, she's continued to progress. And part of my mission is sharing her message that is now her mission as well right. in a different way. So she supports us in a different way. Um, 
And then I just heard a couple of weeks ago, a 70 year old man that took his life. And I just wow. thought what happens to your soul when you're so tired and you think the world mm-hmm. is better at the age of 70, that we would do better without you. And so the other message mm-hmm. I would say is we're not better without you. There's no extra parts here. Mm-hmm. Like everyone on the planet, there's not one part that's like, you know, the piece that doesn't really need to be there. Everyone's needed here. But I love that from a faith perspective, I'm able to talk about this issue with agnostics and atheists in a different way. And they're willing to have a conversation about faith when it comes to suicide. So for that reason, I've probably been saved by this, you know, a few weeks after her death to be working on a book and then start speaking about it. I don't really know how I did that first year. My husband was also unemployed for a time during that time. But looking back, I would say it was the interconnection with others. And there's a lot of isolation, even with social media. We think everyone is feeling so bonded to each other (laughs) and that we're so, you know, interconnected because we can tweet, we can be on Instagram, we can be on Facebook. If anything, I see the opposite has happened Mm -hmm. is that we have this misconception of what, you know, when it comes to, I can do hard things with God. The greatest compliment I've gotten is when readers have said, it's opened my eyes to read these other stories. I, I, I uh, was at a book signing and a woman had bought 20 copies and I personalized all of them. This person is going through cancer. This person's Mm -hmm. going through divorce, right? I get to the very last book and I said, so who's this for? I hope she's not listening. I won't say a name. She said, this is for my daughter-in-law. I said, okay, what's her issue? Because I've done 19 books of divorce, cancer, you know, loss of a child, right? She says, nothing. My daughter-in-law is utterly clueless. Her kids are perfect. They look perfect. She's lived in this small little town. She has no clue. I hope she reads this and gets a clue. I laughed so hard. I was so happy to think that this book maybe Mm -hmm. would help create some empathy and awareness because some people don't have Mm -hmm. an experience with a child that struggled or a chronic illness or depression. You know, I've heard from hundreds of people, church leaders, business leaders that literally have never experienced Mm -hmm. depression or anxiety. Mm -hmm. So then all of a sudden they're serving with someone or they're working with someone and they're like, well, go for a walk. Yeah. Yeah. They don't get it. Yeah. You know, why don't you just, you know, wake up happier, wake up happier, put on, some, <laughs> put on a happy song and, and then you'll get it, yeah. you know? And so for, for those that have not experienced it, I hope that in, in what you're doing, these podcasts, and I think in any way we share stories that are more authentic, we open an awareness that everyone around us is walking through something. Oh, right? man. Yes, they are. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's, let's, uh, let's go to another subject okay. here real quick. It's the new year. Yes. Talk. Let's talk goals. Okay. So I have come to mature in my old age. <laughs> I'm 27. Ever, I love that you think that. Um, I've come to wear, be aware of, I'm pretty particular what I say yes to and what I say no to. And I often share the principle that saying yes to something means you're saying no to something else. Mm-hmm. And we're often more afraid to say no. But when you say no, you're also saying yes to something else. So when it comes to goals and New Year's resolutions, I've created more of a simplified version of that. I try to choose one word that guides me. So this last 2017, my my word was joy. And that became a compass. Instead of a list of to-dos, it was a guiding theme. So if then a project came out or I had to make a decision about something, I stopped not always, but often in 2017 thought, is this leading me towards joy? Now I'm going to tell you at the end of 2017, I didn't wake up and think, 
gosh, I've gotten joy figured out, but I hedged towards it. Mm -hmm. So that's one option. Uh, I wrote a book called the decision that changed my life. And what I learned in doing that book is that, um, especially the men, no offense, (laughs) women tend to kind of see the meaning of something far off. So they'll see that this is leading to this, that's leading to this. Mm-hmm. The men that I worked with on that book, and some of them are very well known, like T.C. Christensen. He's a filmmaker, yeah. right? And and I love T.C. He's just this down-to-earth guy, right? But I had to really work to get the idea that maybe there was providential events in his life that had led to certain things. We had to work <laughs> to kind of pull that out of the story. Women, I would sit down, and they were like, well, yes. You know, God said to do that, and we quit that, and we had this many kids and we moved here and they could see all this meaning. And so I think when you're thinking about your new year's resolutions, I find it helpful to look back before you look forward. Because sometimes when we look back, we go, okay, if, if it was to end today, is this really what I want to have had happened in my life? I always say, I used to do a lot of like home organization consulting and I have a very tidy home. And I have always said, if at my funeral, everyone stands up and says, her house was the cleanest house on the planet, I'm going to come back and haunt everybody because I I don't necessarily want to be known for that, right? right? So as you consider the goals that you have for the new year, consider that you're making decisions for the future, but look back and see, is this really what I want to keep doing? If I if I only had two months left to do whatever, is this really where I want to have my time be? So that's why I find that having a goal that's a, a theme of a word, that it helps me not feel so like by Easter, maybe even by Valentine's Day, that you've already fallen off the wagon and your goals aren't going to happen, right? I, I love that, that you have a word. And it was joy. I uh, I chose a word last year to learn more about the word and become closer to that word. So last year I chose kindness. Yes. I put it on my office wall and my family all voted and they want me to choose that word again for 2018. <laughs> was he more kindness year? Maybe he was more kind. Like, okay, yeah, you did a little. Maybe you could work on that one for the next five years. Yeah, so. <laughs> well, and don't you think sometimes maybe your listeners are thinking, you know, nothing's working out. Why am I going to make goals when last year it didn't? work out the way I thought. Sometimes for me, when I look back and I can kind of not just count my blessings, but see where God for me has led me to this person that helped me meet this person or this experience that led to this experience. Mm -hmm. I can trust that going forward that, you know, if it's in my heart and I believe in that, I believe that your brain cell count in your heart should be ruling more often. I tend to go to my head too much. I want to organize it, plan it, and outline it. But my heart usually is truthful, the most truthful, right? And if my heart is feeling like, do this, try this, try this new adventure, whatever it is, or um, forgive. You know, I think some of my best goals in the past have been working on relationships for the new year. And those, you know, aren't easily checked off on a list. I remember one year I made a goal to improve relationships with extended family. Not the people living in my house, but all those cousins and sister-in-laws and brother-in-laws that you don't see all the time. Well, what does that look like? You know, what is that? And so in the same way that like a word like kindness or joy, I tried to keep seeing like if there was blocks of time open, could I call one of them? Could I reach out? Could we meet for lunch? Could we? And I did notice by the end of the year, and I remember talking to a sister-in-law that was shocked. She's like, I've never made a goal of working on relationships before. Mm -hmm. And I had seen an improvement. I think one of the best gifts we give or goals that we can make for relationships is forgiveness. And that 
you know, sounds really glamorous until you have to do it. Yeah. <laughs> you so know? Easy, it sounds it? Yeah. so great. Like, yeah. well, if you would just forgive, you know, when it really comes down to it, sometimes it's only God and I that know where I'm not forgiving. Right. Cause right. I'm not acting right. rude. I'm not talking badly about anyone, but I'm holding up this kind of wall between me and this other person because I don't trust them. Right. I, I haven't right. forgiven them. So that would be another invitation. Um, forgiveness to me is the secret for everything. If you look at every headline right now mm-hmm. happening in the world, mm-hmm. it's usually a God solution, which really is a forgiveness solution, mm-hmm. right? And that is giving someone a chance to progress. It's giving a person a chance to forgive you and you forgive them so that they become different and you become different. And that's tough. And so I'm not saying forgiveness in a Pollyanna way, that it's so easy that you just say, oh, I'm so sorry. And oh, and I so forgive you. And I also think forgiveness doesn't necessarily mean you're hanging out with them. Right. You know, I think sometimes forgiveness means we have a boundary. We don't really interact, but our hearts are in a different place. Mm -hmm. So did that answer your question about New Year's goals? Beautiful. This is amazing. This is amazing. Yeah, we're over 22 Time minutes, and this one gone. went long, people. Sorry. And your brother is going to get mad. My brother is going to get mad. He's working keep out. Keep working right now. out. Keep yeah, keep working out. It's working. the new year. You got to keep going. That's right. You need the extra. All that free Judd is working gone. out 10 minutes longer than he normally does on this one. Yeah. So thank you so much. Thanks for this having has been me. Great. Yeah, let our audience know where they can connect with you, how they can find you, and find your books or come and hear you speak. Okay. So um, because I have the most unusual name, it made it really easy to find a website name. So Gaina Lynn is my website and I always have a listing of where I'm speaking. Um, but I'm on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And, and I love to connect on those mediums too, because people can message me and we can connect. And I try to share authentic, inspirational, you know, content, but I also try to show real life in a way that, um, you know, that's why my column is called everyday faith. Cause to me, everyday Faith is not the perfect faith. It's not the tied in a pretty bow faith. It's not that I've got all the answers because I definitely don't. Half the time I'm speaking or writing about something I'm trying to figure out myself. So I always joke that I want my next book to be about being lazy and rich. I want to practice writing that book because usually I have to live it before I write it. So no, just kidding. So yes, and and Amazon usually has everything that I've got my name on. So And and we'll have links to all the websites and the books on our show notes. So, and, thank and today you so much. we we laughed and we cried. We touched all the emotions. That was wonderful. Thank, thank, you. You. Thank, yeah, you. thank you. Thanks for listening to Life in 22 Minutes. If you liked what you heard, tell your friends about us and please subscribe to us on iTunes and leave a review. Your review will help us to broaden our audience. Until next time, don't wait for things to be perfect. Get out there and live life with courage, humor, and a whole lot of love. <laughs>